Welcome to Leadership Conversations, a podcast by the Sustainability Board Report. Join us as we engage in conversations with business and civil society leaders, educators and advisors discussing the role of sustainable leadership in today's world. The Sustainability Board Report is an independent, not-for-profit project. We aim to showcase different dimensions of sustainable business leadership and corporate governance. We publish reports to help individual leaders, organizations and investors to understand the changing landscape of environmental, social and governance factors. Welcome to a new episode of Leadership Conversations. We've been on a short summer break and we are now back with another great leader who will talk to us today about sustainability, ESG, leadership, governance and financial services. And that is Jeanette Lichner. Jeanette has been a supporter and contributor to the Sustainability Board Report almost since inception in 2019. And we had a great conversation with Jeanette, which I have found to be a very authentic. What were your takeaways from the conversation? Yeah, absolutely. And I think to start with, as you mentioned, we discussed a wide range of topics today. And I think that really stems, as she mentions in the beginning of the conversation, that she has an interesting career journey. So she's had stints in finance, tech, HR, corporate finance, compliance. So that gives her sort of this breadth of knowledge that we were able to touch on today. It's also clear to all our listeners that she's very interested in people, in businesses in general, uh, may that be financial services, startups, SMEs, and so on. And we started the conversation on the topic of ESG, of course, and in particular on the S, the social pillar. And I think the biggest takeaway for me there was, you know, it's important for organizations and leaders to go back to fundamentals. You know, think about your purpose, what gives you the right to exist, are you demonstrating to your stakeholders both your purpose and your right to be there? And it's clear from listening to her that this is becoming ever more important because you have younger generations thinking and selecting companies based on this mentality, I guess, within organizations. That's the starting point. But then on top of that, she shares the work that she did with the Charter Management Institute that I think is going to be very interesting to read, the Everyone Economy and again, here we focus on the people. She mentions how can you take obstacles down that are hindering people from perhaps creating value and think about the value they could create if those obstacles weren't in place, both in society and for the world in general. Um, of course, she has a lot of experience in financial services. My takeaway, I guess, was the importance of being transparent. And there's a lot of disclosures that uh, financial institutions are having to comply with. But it's not only complying with them, but it's about being specific, avoiding greenwashing and making sure that you are being truthful to what you're saying. And then there's a lot of things that we perhaps don't think about that education and security is something that she will share a lot more with us. And my last takeaway, I feel like my brain has a lot of big takeaways, but it's the one on ESG isn't only the big corporations, right? It's a lot more complex than that. And it's even down to the individual you know, when you talk about sustainability, you know, as the power of individuals, small organizations and everyone as a whole. But yeah, Freddie, I probably covered a lot of them. But is there anything from you before we go into today's show? No, my final comment would just be that you can really hear and feel during the conversation how passionate she is about that sustainable leadership piece and everything that comes with it. And whether that is governance, whether that is individual capacity, whether that is, you know, a new social contract, if you will. 
And I want to make lastly the point that Jeanette has been such a great contributor, friend and supporter of the Sustainability Board Report. She has been challenging us and she has been providing input. And it was just fantastic to share her knowledge and wisdom with a wider audience today. No, absolutely. I agree with you. But I think uh, without adding anything more, please enjoy today's episode. On today's episode of Leadership Conversation, we welcome Jeanette Lichner. Jeanette has a diverse portfolio career, which includes serving as a non-executive director, providing corporate governance and strategic advice, and teaching leadership and governance. In addition, Jeanette has been an executive coach since 2009, working with many people to maximize their potential. Her non-executive roles currently include being on the board of the UK Financial Conduct Authority, chair of Elucidate in Germany, a data-driven financial crime ratings company, a trustee of Local Trust, a community-empowering charity funded by the UK Community Fund, and a member of the Global Advisory Board of the McIntyre School of Commerce of the University of Virginia, of which she is an alumnus. She has been the head tutor for the High Impact Leadership course for the Cambridge Institute of Sustainability Leadership and is a visiting professor at the London Institute of Banking and Finance. She's also a companion member of the Chartered Management Institute. Jeanette, you have been a great supporter and friend of the Sustainability Board Report over the years. We are very excited to also finally have you on our podcast. Thanks for taking the time today. Oh, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. It's always a pleasure. You are a leading authority connecting financial services, sustainability, and corporate governance, and I've only given the shortest overview of what you currently focus on. Would you mind sharing a little bit with our audience what your background is, where you come from, and frankly, your leadership journey? Okay. Yes, certainly. I'll try to keep it short, which is hard sometimes since I'm of a certain age. But let me just start by saying it hasn't been an elegant leadership journey. And frequently when people talk to me about their careers, they kind of apologize that they'd landed in certain careers. And that's certainly been my path. I've done a variety of different things. So having grown up in the States, I moved to New York City after university, did accountancy, was not very good at that, I have to say, and then moved into financial services. I was lucky enough to come here to the UK. And I say lucky because I arrived here in 1984 for a year or two. And now we're many years later and I'm still here, I hasten to add. And when I did that, it was because the organization was growing. And I think growth is always a great opportunity, or at least it's been for me. So during my years at Morgan Stanley, and then subsequently, I did stints in finance, I did stints in technology, human resources, I did corporate finance. So that's always useful to say I knew how to, to generate revenue. I moved into compliance laterally, which put me in a whole different career. But it's that variety that I really like. And that was not planned. It just happened because the organization was growing from 150 people to 2,500 in the space of 10 years. And that led me into other parts of my career with other organizations doing chief operating officer roles. And then I, asked, I was asked to move from my chief operating officer role to be head of compliance and operational risk at the last financial institution. And that was a very significant pivot for me, which turned me into this, I think you call me a governance expert, did you? Nobody's ever called me an expert in anything. <laughs> and so I did consulting for about 10 years, and now I do a variety of jobs as you described. But when I look back on it, which is what we do with careers, they don't make sense at the beginning, they only make sense at the end. The consistent theme has been in my career, 
I'm so interested in people and how to make people achieve even more than they thought possible. And I'm really interested in business, any types. So despite what I look like a real financial services guru geek, I've actually been involved in a number of small startup companies in a variety of industries. And that, that's just fascinating to me. Fantastic. And in the lead up of today's podcast, we were talking about sustainability and financial services, but you were mentioning just now, obviously, you're fascinated by people and you increasingly worry about the S in ESG. Mm -hmm. That stands for social, of course. I know you're doing some work around this on the FCA board, but also in other areas. So for our listeners who usually associate sustainability with the environmental side of things, what is your sort of foundation of ESG sustainability? What's all part of it? What do we need to worry about? Well, when I think about sustainability, I go back to fundamentals. I think it's always useful, is, no matter how senior you are, is to simplify things and go back to the basics. To me, sustainability takes us back to the purpose of the organization. And I encourage organizations, including the ones that I'm involved with, to think really hard about like what is their right to exist? What do they contribute to society? And that's a really harsh question, but I do ask it in that way of myself and others, because I think you have to demonstrate to all of your stakeholders that you have a right to be. And organizations we know are lasting shorter and shorter in duration, if you, particularly if you're not meeting any of your ESG, not requirements, but what people want, what society wants. I think the lifetime of organizations is going to shrink further. So um, if I combine my FCA role plus my general passion, at the FCA as a regulator, of course, we have a big role to play in terms of ESG. We do ask organizations about their purpose. We do ask about their culture. We recently at the FCA appointed a director who's responsible for ESG, Sasha Sedan, who is from LGIM. I think you, you've actually met him, Frederick, great guy. And I have to say, and I want people to hear this loud and clear, when Sasha and I meet, we frequently don't even touch on climate and the environment because that has so much attention. And it's really important. We're all suffering under an incredible heat wave. I'm not saying it's not important, but I think in terms of the organization's contribution to society as whole, the S is also very, very important. So going back to how do you make society better? What's your role in society? And leadership has a huge role to play in that. This also ties into diversity and inclusion. I personally am a fan of inclusion. I was involved recently with the Charter Management Institute on a big study we did around diversity and inclusion around five different areas. It was around gender, ethnicity, disability, socioeconomic background, which you now know is one of my, my pet peeves, and also age. And the document was put in front of the House of Lords here in the UK. And, and I'd love people to read it because what we did is we titled it The Everyone Economy. And this is how we bring business and organizations and, and, and ESG together, is that if we were to get rid of all these obstacles that get some people's way because they're not from the right part of the country or they're not from the right socioeconomic background, or they're the wrong gender, or they're the wrong sexual orientation, whatever it happens to be, if you could get rid of all those shackles, can you imagine how much more value they could contribute to society and to our country and to the world? And we just believe that people are being so held back. So that's my best example of the societal bit, is getting people to think really about what is their place in society? What did they do for their people and all of their stakeholders? And this becomes really big with the new younger generations, younger than me, because 
if these younger generations don't see organizations being clear about their purpose, they don't want to buy what they're selling. They don't want to be an employee in that organization. And all of that will really damage your reputation, but also just disenfranchise you from the people who make you exist. So that will short circuit that circle that I sort of described. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you. And at the end of the day, any sort of environmental policies or any technology in that area that is developed, it's all enabled, made and built by people at the end of the day, right? And if the general needs of people aren't met, what will they ever do about environmental concerns? So I think jobs are a big, big part of this as well. Now, Jeanette, I do want to talk a little bit about the power of capital markets in all of this. You mentioned society a couple of times, capital markets very much part of our society, of course. So what does financial services have to do with sustainability and the other way around? And what are the important points? Well, there's there's a couple of different ones. So let, let's look at it from different ways. First of all, financial services is a big industry. It employs a lot of people and generates a lot of wealth. So it has a responsibility to itself to behave in a responsible manner and think clearly about who are the communities it's serving. Capital markets is interesting. In this country, in the last, I want to say, 25 years, we've moved where people have gone from having a pension when they retire, a defined benefit pension, so they know they're going to get X amount of money per month, And some people still have that, but not that many. But most people are now on a defined contribution plan. So now they're going to have pockets of money that they need to invest in something. And I think that's a good thing. I grew up in the States where we had, we've always had this. It's, it's uh, you know, capitalist. It's every man for himself, really, or every man, woman, child for themselves. So we've always had to provide for our own pension. But here it's been a real shift. And I think people haven't really understood that. I do a lot of work in financial literacy, and I, and I see this all the time. People really don't get it. But where capital markets play a role is when people want to invest money, what are they going to invest it in? And people will say, I'm going to invest where you have the biggest increase. So cryptos attracted people, but that's been very high risk. I'm not going to diss any of these sectors, and I've invested in many of them. So, But let's just realize high risk, high return. Then People can also say, well, how much income am I going to earn if I put money in that asset? So they look for high dividend companies. Now, the high dividend companies have historically been things like oil and gas. But what does that say about sustainability? And again, I'm not saying that those aren't good companies. They're thinking very hard about sustainability as a result, but they have provided the big dividends. But what people are now saying is, I want to invest in companies that are in doing things that are sustainable. But how do you find them? How do you know if you invest in a particular company, you might be able to look at their annual report and see what are they doing about sustainability. But let's be careful about those disclosures, okay? What you also have is people investing in funds. This is a sustainable investment fund, but what does that mean? So how do investors know whether or not what they're investing in is what they want to be investing in from a sustainability perspective? And this is where regulators like the FCA are working very hard to figure out how to make sure that we don't have what we call greenwashing, where people think they're buying into something sustainable, and it really doesn't turn out to be anything sustainable at all. And it's very hard to figure out how to label that in a way that consumers can actually understand. And I'm not suggesting for a moment that all consumers are interested in sustainability. They are interested in other things like producing a pension. But that's a big, the big piece that the regulators are focusing on in the in this space. We're also asking people to make these disclosures, which I mentioned, both in the UK, both the FCA 
and the financial reporting, the FRC, have come out with regulations about disclosures. And the FRC, soon after people disclosed, wrote a report on what did they see. And what they saw was really, it was a big D. You know, if you have A grades from A to F, they were like a D is what they awarded people because people weren't specific enough. And look, I really get it. It's very easy to make big pronouncements. We're going to get to net zero. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We make sure nobody's paid below minimum wage. But you have to be really specific about what you're doing. And, and the feedback from the FRC certainly was there wasn't enough specificity. They saw big statements with nothing to back it up. And that's where the push is really coming from, from ourselves and also from the FRC. Be more specific. I even like it when people say, this is what we're not going to do for the following reasons. But those disclosures right now, they're generally big disclosures and we need to look more carefully at what do they say and they have to be refined over time. These are new, these are new requirements. And I think whilst we might be impatient and I'm certainly not the most patient of souls, it does take time when we come up with new policies for people to incorporate them and get better at them with each passing year. So we're on a, on a journey, you said about my leadership journey. Well, I think we're on an ESG disclosure journey. Great. And I think there was a lot of scrutiny recently about ESG labeling due to some new greenwashing regulation coming in. Perhaps we can stay with that for a second. What do you think are the areas that we need to pay more attention to as regulators, as businesses? What are the points that will truly make a change and sort of lead us into a more of a sustainable future? Is there any fraud in the system generally? What is it that we need to be mindful? Full of as we move forward with better disclosure and labeling? Well, of course, if we go back to the sustainability has a, a lot of different components to it. When we think about financial services, there's two additional things that really spring to mind. One is education. So when there are attacks on people for greenwashing, it's because even if they disclosed properly, people wouldn't understand it. So there's unintentional greenwashing, in my view, which is people think they're doing the right thing and labeling it. And then there's intended greenwashing, which is to attract investors into areas that they don't really want to be in because you've misrepresented it. I always tell people, write your disclosures as if you were talking to somebody in your family. Be really straightforward. This goes back to my make everything really simple. So if you're sitting on a board and looking at these disclosures, say, could anybody in my family understand these and, and read them? I mean, you know, my kids are older, so I would hope they would be able to. So we need to think about education as well as informing people, right? Speak in words of one syllable. If we look at financial institutions, terms and conditions for a bank account, right? you recently moved back to the UK, you probably got a very long document. If you can't understand it and read it, then what's the point, right? Give me a summary is what I always sort of ask for. I think also from a regulatory perspective, when we think about sustainability, our attention does turn to the area of financial crime. And financial crime, we always think about it being money laundering or sanctions, particularly now with the Ukraine. But I think a bit more broadly than that, when money gets laundered, so somebody gets a bunch of money illegally and washes it through the system to make it look clean, they then tend to use it for other illegal purposes. And this is very, very damaging to society because where does it end up? That money ends up in people trafficking. It ends up in drug smuggling. It ends up in weapons, moving weapons around the world. So whilst we focus on AML, and we do that a lot in the FCA, it's also those things that happen afterwards. 
And whilst we focus on banking, a lot of this money laundering and other things that happen, happen outside the financial system. Cash still ends up being one of the biggest money laundering. It just moves around the world, you know, in bags, as it were. And that's very, very worrying. So I think we all in financial services need to stay very cognizant about things like financial crime or cybersecurity and those matters. We need to educate people so they know what they're investing in. And we need to be more transparent in organizations around going back to my purpose. You know, why do we have a right to exist? Why should I bank with you? Why should I invest in your security? Convince me of that, right? So I think it's thinking about things differently. I, I was just on a call before this one, and I was discussing with somebody, it was one of the startups I'm involved in, that if we keep doing things the same way, we're going to get the same result. And that's absolutely the case here. And, and I try to push people, let's think really radically. What's the most radical thing we could do? And what would be the risk of doing that? Okay, let's do 10% of that. But let's do something different because our approach to ESG and sustainability has been very slow and particularly on, on the environmental, but also on societal. Societal is just a little bit more hidden, but environment, we're really seeing it now. And we, we should have reacted earlier, a lot earlier, and we didn't. Anyway, I hope that answers your question. Yes, absolutely. And just to summarize, we have now learned that, of course, environment, social issues, but also things like cybersecurity, data protection, product labeling is all part of sustainability, which now brings us to G, to the governance side of things. And I would love to switch gears here as you are, of course, also on the board of various organizations. So how well prepared do you think boards are in picking up oversight of these sustainability issues and strategy? So I knew you'd ask me about this because you've asked your other participants about this. And I've heard many of your participants say, well, most boards should have an ESG committee. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I just want to expand this concept. We frequently when we discuss ESG or many other things, we think about big corporates, right? And when we talk about ESG, we can't just think about big corporates. We need to think about small you know, SMEs. We need to think about individually owned companies. We need to think about organizations outside the corporate world who all have a responsibility to participate as fully around all of ESG in all the areas that I've actually already described. So, I think a lot of individuals have very clear views around sustainability, but it has to apply to everybody. So when I think about ESG, I think about all the individuals sitting on boards or sitting on excos, and also everybody else in the organization. But let's face it, that's where a lot of the, that's where the drivers will come from because of the accountability at the board level. And I believe everybody has a responsibility to understand ESG in its totality. So sometimes I worry when, when an organization is big enough to have enough non-exec directors to create an ESG committee, I think that's fine. But you have to take whatever you discuss at the committee back to the board, and there has to be enough people at the board to challenge what the committee said. Otherwise, the governance structure isn't working, and that's missed in many organizations, people don't really understand how the committees and the board need to work together. So this might make me unpopular with many of your listeners, but please do not wait. Do not wait for your company secretary to organize an ESG event, training, education session, right? This isn't about sheep dipping people into education. This is about a way of life that's fundamental to your organization. 
So every Ned I speak to, I encourage them to go and find out, listen to these podcasts, right? I listen to them. I know a lot about it, but I listen to them because I always learn something new. So if you're going to be in a non-executive director role or a senior exec role, you need to make it your business to find out what's happening in this arena and read widely about it. Don't just read from one newspaper or one producer of information. Read across areas. Hear what are small firms doing? What are large firms doing? So that everybody has responsibility for this agenda, not just the chairman of the board, not just the board, not just the ESG committee, but everybody. So even if some of your listeners might be in small little startups, you know, five people, 10 people, they should be starting with ESG. What is our purpose? Where are we trying to get to? Who are the communities that we're serving? Do we pay our people well? You know, we might, I could go into a firm and they'll say, yes, we're very ESG. And I say, and do you pay everyone minimum wage? And the answer is no. Well, okay, that's not good enough. That really isn't good enough. How could you not do that and tell me you're a proponent of ESG? That can't be the case. Do you hire from the select three universities? When I was in corporate finance, we only went to Oxford and Cambridge. Well, that's not very diverse, is it? So if an employer only goes to a select number of universities, that also, to me, wouldn't sort of tell me that they're terribly ESG orientated. So learning is the key, learning and then acting. And I think where you and I are aligned as well is that that leadership piece, again, should be at the fore of all endeavors, right? It's not charters and policy. It's the individual leadership that board directors, executives have to exercise. Any last thoughts on that? Well, you know me, I can always talk about leadership. Leadership is about how do you behave day to day, right? That's the culture. As a senior person, you set that culture in your organization. If you treat people with respect, they will feel respected and they will contribute to your organization. If you don't, they simply won't. So how do you want to be treated? That's how you should treat other people. But leadership does have the responsibility to set out for people clearly, this is why we exist. This is how we're going to behave in this organization. And everybody has a responsibility to call out people or the organization where they're not behaving in that way. The power of the individual is really important when we talk about sustainability. And that is a great segue now to our last two questions that are, of course, about leadership as well. And the first one is, what is your favorite story of a particular leader or organization that had a big impact on either yourself or society at large? Oh, and you know, I really struggled with this, Frederick, because I could think about a thousand, but I thought, okay, who do I, who are my go-tos, right? And actually, so I'm going to do more than one, so sorry, but I'll do them quickly, right? One is Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson founded my university, the University of Virginia, and he's under a lot of criticism, but what he did, as well as being president for a while, is he set up the first state university in the state of Virginia. And that's really important because when you have a state university, you give people access to education. And through education, you can really move yourself up in society. So I'm a big believer in that. Second one was Jack Welch. People will know him, very old-fashioned, big man leadership, blah, 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 and very out of fashion now. In fact, I believe he's passed away. But the idea that I use often was his idea of workout, which is you get people from across your organization at the junior level, the people who are hands-on, to work together to solve problems. And I think too often people look to leaders the top of the organization to figure out issues or solutions to problems. And those people will not figure that out, right? It's the people who are hands-on dealing with customers that have the answers. And my last one, I just want to mention a shout out to Simon Sinek. You see, I post a lot of his stuff. I just think he's great because 
he encapsulates stuff so well in just a few short sentences. And I'm always going back and thinking about what he says. So that's my answer to your question. Sorry, it was three, not one. No, that's perfect. I like when it's specific. And I know Simon Sinek, you are a big fan. And uh, <laughs> so are many other people. I have a few books of his as well. Um, and then lastly, Jeanette, can you give our listeners one piece of advice that they can make part of their leadership toolkit and start applying today to set them up for more positive societal impact? Well, you've heard me say this before, Frederick. I think that the leadership superpower in everything, including sustainability, is learning how to actively listen. It's something I wish I had learned earlier in my career. I wasn't much of a listener. I was more of a teller. But when you listen, you learn. And life is a life, learning is a lifetime journey. And I talked about that in terms of people knowing about sustainability and ESG. You have to keep reaching out to the world, reading widely, watching TV shows widely. And that doesn't just all mean heavy duty stuff. Have some fun stuff too, right? But make yourself kind of a Renaissance person like Leonardo da Vinci was. Look at all the stuff he got involved in. In this world that's ever-changing, keeping learning and keeping open to ideas is the only way to really contribute the most that you can into society. And actually, it makes for a pretty interesting life. That's what I found. And I would agree with you. It's probably one of the hardest skills to master for a leader, that, that listening, right? Absolutely. Jeanette, we are at the end of the podcast. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, time always goes very quickly when we have a great conversation. I didn't expect to wrap so much wisdom into this just under half an hour. So it was absolutely fantastic to have you join us. Uh, thanks so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership Conversations. To follow our work and learn more about our reports, please check out our website, boardreport.org and sign up to our newsletter. You can also find us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Details can be found in the podcast description.